This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. I'm going to talk to you about information architecture. This is my can I make IA funny talk. Um, while I'm not running a conference, uh, I am an information architect. Um, I've written a couple of books, one on card sorting, one on information architecture. Um, when I'm not doing that, I'm often doing this. And when I'm not doing that, I'm working here and we're hiring. Um, <laughs> I just want to briefly explain what I mean when, what I, when, I, when I talk about IA because it's, as with all things, it means um, different things to different people. When I'm thinking about IA, I'm thinking about how Content is structured, how things relate to each other, what hangs together, and how um, it all talks to each other. I'm thinking of, of everything from what's a model of content and what is it all like, right through to what is it called and how is it displayed on a page, just so we're all on the same um, page with that one. Uh, and because I've been doing IA for... Uh, very long time. Um, I've been, uh, and I've been doing it as a consultant for a very long time. I've been asked many, many silly questions. No, I'll be, I'll be kind. I've been asked many questions. So today I'm just going to go through a bunch of the questions that people ask me a lot uh, and talk to you about what the answers are. And uh, because I'm an IA, I have categorised my questions. I have, I have, why can't we just, and um, illogical best practices. So my first, why can't we just, is why can't we just arrange this by audience? Have you all heard that one? It's somewhere in a project. Why can't we just arrange this by audience? Like, why is it even a thing that you need to think about this? This is really, really hard, which is why we can't just arrange it by audience. In order to arrange content well by audience, um, the user at the time that they're doing something needs to know who they are and then match that to the groups that you use. And the content needs to match those groups very, very well. Um, and those two things are much harder than you think. Lots of universities use an audience-based scheme with current students, future students, usually staff, um, that kind of scheme. It seems like it would make sense. Some parts of the university think about recruiting, some parts look after students. Um, when I was working for a university, we learned pretty fast that students who were thinking about coming to the university were looking at the current student section because they wanted to see what was really like to be at the university. And you also don't necessarily know who you are. You can be a student who is studying something who wants to change. Are you a future student? Are you a current student? You can also be a PhD. Are you then staff student? Doesn't work as well as it sounds. Something you also need to think really carefully about when you're doing audience schemes is about not excluding people. Now, clearly, this is, this is the Dewey Decimal System, which isn't an audience scheme. But if you look at how Dewey... Um, classified religion, uh, not only can you see his worldview, you can see how he's excluded everyone. Christian theology, Christian, 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 
other and comparative religions. We ha- like it's super, it's super easy to exclude when we classify any kind, and it's super easy to exclude when we do it by audience. Um, that's my serious bit. Where the other thing to watch out for uh, with audience schemes is: Are you talking? Are you showing a list of the people, or are you providing information for a group? And this is one of my favourite bad examples. Um, because it's a computer-human interaction conference and they should know better. Um, and you, it, like, I know that the white on grey um, on a screen like that is really not very readable nor accessible. Um, their top-level categories are attending authors, sponsors, recruiters, exhibitors, organisers and press. And when I first looked at this, I was like, OK, that's a list of the authors, because it's an academic that's a list of the sponsors, that's the recruiters, that's the exhibitors, blah, 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 blah. Oh, where are the talks? Okay, they must be under attending. What does that mean? Why is... Hmm? What's going on there? Turns out this is information for people attending, information for authors, like how to submit a paper, information for sponsors, like how to sponsor the conference. And it, it did my head in, and I was like, that is... So bad and such a good example at the same time. Uh, also note the lovely bulleted list of navigation that's actually a list of bullets. We always should see that one. Another why can't we just... Um, and people actually don't say this ever to me. Why can't we just arrange it by format? But clearly, people arrange their content by format. We see publications, books, uh, FAQs, things like that. Um, this is the old Bunnings website... And what they used to do was... So they've got really good tip sheets inside Bunnings. And it was all uh, DIY books and planners, DIY brochures, DIY calculators, DIY decorator. Um, If you wanted to find those tip sheets, you didn't know whether you needed to look in books and planners or brochures, maybe in calculators, I don't know. Handyman magazine, maybe. (laughs) I've had this slide in my deck for like, I don't know, at least six years, possibly eight. I think maybe I've told enough people that example that they fixed it. Maybe this just came about naturally. But luckily, you can't imagine how excited I was when I went to take a screenshot of the Bunnings website and found that finally they'd arranged their um, great content by topics, not format. I have another bad example, which was I was looking for some accessibility articles to include in some guidance when I was writing a university course. And I thought Vision Australia would have some articles that I could include. Um, And I went there and they have done tip sheets, accessibility white papers, um, tools, legislation and guidelines, blog. I'm like, where are the things that talk about accessibility? All in format base. So I thought I should check Derek Featherston's site um, and hoped that he'd done it better. And luckily, again, Derek's used some topics. So um, design, development, understanding, accessibility, content, logo, logo. It's like, thank goodness. And I was looking through my slides earlier today. I'm like, hey, Derek, I said something really nice about you in my talk. He said he didn't say anything nice about me in his talk. So why can't we, why can't we just use search? Has anyone heard that one? 
why do we have to do this IA stuff when everybody searches? The fact is that people don't entirely search. Um, we've got like two ends of a spectrum of information seeking behaviours. One is uh, called known item and the other is exploratory. In a known item task, you know what you want, you know what to call it, you know where it is, maybe you know when you found it. So uh, finding out the address for um, the Crafty Squire, which I just was silly on Slack to Will Donovan, um, is a known item task. It wasn't hard for me to Google that because I have language, I know what I'm after, I know where to go, I know where I'm done. The opposite end is exploratory information-seeking tasks, and in those we know we kind of need something. We don't necessarily know where to go. We might not have language for it, and it might be something that we don't even know if we've finished. Something like researching your next holiday. Um, I recently had to... So my daughter is my employee, and she turned 18, and my exploratory task was, I think I must need to do something about superannuation. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where to go. I don't know what... I mean, I could use a word like superannuation, but how's that going to get me to that task? I, I kind of found it, but I'm still not sure that I've got it right and that I've done the right things, so I'm going to have to keep going. Search doesn't work for that kind of task because I don't have language. I need to get somewhere close to near where I am and I need to be able to click around links and poke around things and fill out my brain and learn. So search isn't the answer for all. Even on a where you'd think a, a, it would be common to use search, like a grocery store, people will search when they know exactly what they want. So um, when I know I want coffee beans, I know how to spell it, I know where to go, I know when I've got it. But even on something like that, if I'm looking for fancy cheese, I'm going to browse for it. I'm going to see what fancy cheese does Coles have. I work with Coles. I can see Tam in the audience. Um, we can look at good fancy cheese, can't we? This is all my, always my good example. And I don't necessarily search for that. I browse. So why can't we just use search? We can't just use search because we have to remember the other side of the spectrum of behaviours that people really do. Why can't we just order it alphabetically? Um, again, I'm sure you've heard this one, haven't you? So, you probably even said it. Alphabetical order is okay for known item tasks. When you know that you want coffee beans, you can look at a list and go, see. Um, so it, it, it works really well for that. It doesn't work for anything else, really. Um, we're always much better to sequence things in, an, in some kind of natural order. Um, people assume that when you've got a sequence like a list of items, that there is some order to them, that there's some, like the things at the beginning are more important than the things at the end, and that the that, that, that things are like each other are going to be bundled together. Alphabet is not an order. It's a learned sequence. And, you know, we're doing conference badges, and I'm like, James, okay, uh, H-I-J-K. You know, I have to do that every time. It's just a learned sequence, and it is meaningless. So... Mostly, ordering things alphabetically is not good. You might hear in something like a usability test, oh, God, I wish, they'd order, I wish you'd just order it by alphabet. The reason that happens is because in a usability test, you've often given them a node item task. You've said, do this thing. 
you've possibly given them language and then they're looking at a screen going, oh, now I have to kind of figure that out. It's also often not their task. Um, so they're interpreting, they're playing a role for you, they're trying to please you, and they'll go, oh, I just wish it was ordered alphabetically. Don't listen to that. It's because it's not like it's it's not real. Um, you've given them language. Category two: other illogical best practices. Not even going there. <laughs> Three clicks from where? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Excuse me. You knew somebody was going to do it at the conference, and it's going to be me. Seven plus or minus two links in navigation. Also, no. That doesn't even mean anything. Why would we say five to seven links, five to seven navigation items? It comes from nowhere. The research it's based on was about memory and retrieval of memory. It has nothing to do with the navigation bar in front of your face or the list of bullets. It's insane. This is one of my favourite websites. Um, this is where I buy my office supplies from. It's pretty good. I like it a lot. It's ordered alphabetically. Okay for me because it's like I'm doing known item search like post-it notes and pens. I love this much more than I love this because every time I'm looking for sticky notes, I'm going office supplies or paper. Post-it notes or I don't know what they call it. It's either post-it notes or sticky notes on this one. It's ugly. I would never actually tell a client that we should do this. But uh, many links in many cases are better than, better than like fewer links and certainly not seven plus or minus two. Um, sometimes people t tell me that users will be confused if we put content in more than one place. And those of you who know me know that I'm uh, mostly fairly cheeky. Um, <laughs> so my answer to this is always, Guess what? Once they find it, they don't go looking for it again. So they don't see that it's in two places, so they can't possibly get confused. The only people who get confused when things are in more than one place... Well, actually, nobody gets confused. The only, thing that, the only people who care are us. Like, this makes complete sense for a clothing store. That really cool blue dress um, can be in... Oh, I can't remember what category that is. It's really tiny in the URL. Okay, that's in the designer. So this is the designer a sin. I can also find that dress via women's clothing, as I should. I should be able to find it by designer and by women's clothing. And it's not going to confuse me. And I don't even know why people would worry about it. Another illogical practice. People, I've had big, good arguments about this one. Everybody's always saying, avoid jargon. Jargon is a really good thing. It lets us communicate efficiently with people who know our jargon. Like, if, if, I, if we go out there and chat to each other at work, we use a ton of jargon. So jargon absolutely has its place. Um, jargon is also really... Uh, it's, it's good when you're talking specialist to specialist. We don't have to simplify or clarify everything. We have to know our audience, know who we're talking to, and then decide whether this is the right approach. So many times we do want to avoid jargon if, if it's specialist, specialist to non-specialist. But if we're doing specialist to specialist, and when I'm doing government work, it's often 
government to industry or government to government, specialist to specialist. We don't have to get rid of all jargon. I did some work with um, Vanessa last year where we looked at search terms into government websites, and we could really see that people were writing things like Superstream. That's a piece of jargon. They write family tax benefit B. That's a piece of jargon. We can teach people the language. Um, they learn it. They become efficient. We can talk to each other. So it's not a terrible, terrible thing to do. My, very, my, my final favourite, why can't we just... I was being ironic with my talk title. Why can't we just use the FAQ? <laughs> FAQs aren't even a thing. FAQs are just, I can't be bothered figuring out how to put that content somewhere where people will find it. I think the only use case for an FAQ is um, a genuine troubleshooting kind of site. So support sites, these genuinely are our top questions. That's okay. Every other situation, an FAQ is not useful. I've rarely seen users want that. Um, they might know by default that maybe they'll go there and they might find the thing that they want, but our content should be where it belongs, not in this lazy lump of FAQ-ness. <laughs> Number three question from Instagram, where does the name come from? Yeah, right. <laughs> Number, Number one question for WordPress. How do I use smileys emojis in my post? You really think that's the most popular, th the, the thing that most people ask WordPress? Not like, how do I set up a blog? How do I do various codey things? What why, why did my thing not work when you just changed the code? All the things that people ask WordPress, how do I use emojis? I could be wrong, but um, I doubt it. This is... <laughs> This is my credit card company. How can I change my Woolworths money online password? Loads of little questions. The other thing about questions is they're harder to read, interpret, and determine whether they match the thing that's in your head. There's way too many words in them, and the topic is usually at the end of the sentence rather than the beginning. So apart from anything, questions are bad like that. But they, they, you know, they, they, this mob does double bad by uh, collapsing the questions when they could have, like, look how short those answers are. They could have just had the whole thing on the page and then you can at least scan it. So no FAQs ever again. Work is going to, I'm going to have some great fights over the next couple of months, I think. I've been just much more black and white than I ever am. I actually am usually the person who goes, eh, you know, maybe it depends, I don't know. So... I'm, I'm being a little extreme. Sometimes it does depend. Sometimes don't, don't just follow my rules because I said they were rules. But yeah, please don't ever tell anybody three clicks from the homepage. And please don't use FAQs. And really think hard about whether an audience scheme is the right way to do content. And I'm waiting for somebody to tell me a good use of format other than video. Like I do want to go to YouTube to look up makeup tutorials. Actually, my daughter does. Um, but yeah, mostly those things don't work. Oh, and clearly that's where you can find me. Because <laughs> I've, I've lost my slide. And I am smack bang on time. Thank you. And now, and now I get to put my other hat on and say...
Thank you, Donna, for that very excellent talk on information architecture. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.